Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 124 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardRoom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardRoom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the links or adverts on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them on the Facebook group. Alex... You are here. We're going to touch on some really weird time zone uh, anomaly that Alex just told me before we came <laughs> on. And, uh, so he's back to the future and he's here for the episode. Alex, how's things? What's been happening? I'm good, man. Uh, just back from Montreal in Bullhead City, loving life. Made a final table out in Montreal, so that was cool. I saw that. I saw that. You got, was it sixth or fifth, was it? Yeah, I got a. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember. Fifth, fifth, yeah. The kid, the kid who finished sixth was... I did not have one negative experience in all of Montreal except for this one kid. He was so funny. I go, how many chips do you have? And he, like, he threw his hands up like, who is this guy asking these crazy questions <laughs> at a final table? And I said, okay, I'm all in because I, I eyeballed it and it looked like 18 big blinds and I had an ace. And then, yeah, he got even more mad, but... Yeah, that guy finished sixth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finished fifth. I flopped top and bottom pair versus top set. Not a no. not a whole lot I could have done there with you know thirty x stacks or whatever it was. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was uh, it was an experience, man. I really loved uh, Montreal. Montreal is a very beautiful city. It's uh, it's, ve- it's the way I like my liberals, which is do whatever you want, just leave me alone. As opposed to, you know, running down the streets, pumping your chest, talking about how amazing you are. Yeah. Which I guess would be the Seattle breed of liberal. But yeah, you just, you know, uh, I should not say you know. Uh, but uh, it is incredible. I went to, I, it, I had one night off in Montreal. And I said, I want to go see live music because I'm with Dennis Peterson. And, Peter, it, you know, Dennis is a live touring musician or at least part of the time he is mm-hmm. and i figured he'd be somebody who really appreciated that and when, i looked it up not, when he's not driving trucks yeah when he's not driving trucks <laughs> yes when he's not driving trucks he's not a truck driver though by the way he's i know i know never, it's been on we have to clarify because he's a buddy if he wasn't a buddy i'd just let that sit every episode but yeah uh um yeah he's a uh you know he does do live music and i thought it'd be a little more fun to go see something with him because he could appreciate it more. And I looked up rap because, well, I I felt I could explain a few things to him that maybe he couldn't see when he watches hip hop because I I don't know how popular a format that is in London, Ontario. 
And the only hip hop show I could find was, uh, it, it was gay rap. Like it was, it was two gay artists, which I always thought hip hop was pretty homophobic. It was only a few years ago they started, they stopped saying, uh, the F word for gay people and stuff like that. So if you watch the early videos of battle rap, there's a lot of, uh, homosexual slurs thrown around and nobody really given nobody really caring about it and we went to this show and it was an amazing show everybody was really cool uh we stuck out like sore thumbs because i think we were only straight people in the place but <laughs> everybody was really cool with us and you know every uh it, i really liked everybody there anytime you spoke any little bit of french everybody lit up and they were really happy to talk to you everybody spoke english uh, it's like it, it is very much another country. It was uh, it, it's it's very strange just because it looks like many places in Alaska I've been to or the Midwest I've been to. Mm-hmm. Yet everybody's speaking French, and you turn on the TV and hockey highlights are in French, and <laughs> yeah. you know about, there's a bunch of things you when you think about it for a minute longer make total sense, but if you're not there, you don't really realize that it exists. And it was very, it, it was very fun. It was really cool. Everybody was really cool. Walking the streets in Montreal at night was with my homies. was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, mean, I had the time of my life. And I even, uh, Dennis and I, we were at one point, we just decided we're going to have fun today. Right. Let's not take the poker too seriously. Right. It, which I don't recommend you do that often, but we were in that. We were both a little run down from work and traveling and all that. So we went to this old diner, right? Old French diner. And, uh, yeah, I, it, this just shows how ignorant I am. The owner of the diner was a, uh, I guess you'd say African Canadian man and speaking fluent French. And of course, if you think about it for one second, it's, oh, obviously that exists, right? Because, there was a mass immigration to Canada uh, from the United States. And obviously that exists, but it, it, it was just so, you know, it was so open and different. And yeah, they fed us, what was it, the smoked, uh, it, it's, uh, I think it's just a pastrami sandwich, but it's so good. The smoked meats, I think is what they call it. And then poutine. Have you ever had poutine, Barry? No, but I saw it on that, like Anthony Bourdain uh, oh, it yeah. was so good. Oh, my God. For those of you at home who don't know what it is, it is French fries uh, with cheese curds, I think, and gravy. And yeah. then you can you can pile on some other things if you want. But we just went with the classics there. And, yeah, it was pretty amazing. It was, uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. And then, yeah, now I'm back in Bullhead City. And uh, as Barry and I were discussing... Uh, from my window, I can see across the Colorado River where I'm looking at the time is 10, uh, it is 930 in the morning in my house. It is 1030 in the morning. (laughs) And that is, that is really confusing because my cell phone, my cell phone runs on Google everything and Google doesn't exactly have the best 
Well, it has really good GPS coordinates if you want to know generally what street you're on. If it's trying to find the dividing line for a state, it's not that good. And it just keeps changing my time zone all the time. So at my desk, it says I'm in Nevada, which is on Pacific Standard Time. If I go back to my bedroom, it goes up one hour and says Arizona time. Arizona, by the way... Only state in the Union that doesn't observe daylight savings time, I believe. And up until recently, I don't think they recognized Martin Luther King Day. So, anywho, Mom, do you know if they still don't recognize that? They still don't. Okay, my mother's here, by the way. I was going to say, hi, Mom, I didn't know you were there. (laughs) Uh, Barry says hi. (laughs) She says hello. And so, yeah, we got Carlos here. Uh, Carlos has been crushing lately. He had three final tables yesterday, and he won one. I've been laying on the couch with a stomach. I, I think whenever, I think whenever I travel, just all the different mixes of different types of water and food and all yeah. that. I, I think it does. I really think it's the water. I really think it's the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. water. The different minerals and stuff. I know, like that time I went when I China and Hong Kong. Even if you're not drinking. I drink bottled water, but when you forget and you get ice somewhere or you have, like, you know, the, oh, yeah. the noodles or whatever, even though it's boiled, there's there's different minerals oh, in yeah. the water. Definitely, it has to be the water, you know. It's funny because on the road, there is a certain amount of adrenaline mm-hmm. that seeps into me, and that allows me to get past that. But once I get home, my body completely Yeah, you feel gives it takes a few days. Yeah. yeah, exactly. By the way, to keep with the one-outer tradition, there are some construction workers working on my house today because nice. <laughs> a, wa- a water main uh, blew up the other day from all the rain, and so they've been working on it for a few days. They thought they were going to knock off the power, so I just didn't even bother using my computer because why would you do that if it's going to turn off 45 minutes in? If you're working on something, that, that could be quite problematic. And, of course, the power's never gone out, so I've delayed a bunch of lessons and stuff for no reason. But, yeah, uh, feeling better today. Life is good today. So, yeah, you know, let's, uh, let's do the one-hour podcast. Yeah, any plans to head into Vegas, Nevada? And oh, play any you know what, I did or? go to... Let me get a sip of water really quick. My mouth is unreasonably dry this morning. Sorry about that, guys. I guess it's the desert here is a little different. (laughs) I did go, thank you for reminding me, I did go into Bullhead City uh, the other day. And over the weekend, I played 2-5, and it was a very good game. Uh, Many people that clearly play poker just for fun. Uh, I got really ahead in the game, and then I just kept triple-barreling an overpair and running into a set, <laughs> getting flatted on the river and tabling my hand, you know, like yeah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check this out! And then they're like, ah, I thought you maybe had top set there, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it was pretty funny. There was one time, there's a woman who plays the game. She can obviously play all right. Uh, I don't know how good she can play. I, don't, I, I haven't played with her enough, but I had my big old stack of chips. And the fun thing about playing cash games is you get to 
you know, you get to kind of flare your arms out and double fist, put chips in. And I finally got to do a bet like that on the river, right? And I've been waiting all weekend to do this bet, right? Because it's just so fun to, like, tear down the castle to put in a bet, right? So I'm, like, grabbing my stacks and I'm, you know, uh, being kind of a dull to, like, flaring my biceps and blah, blah, blah. And then I put it in. And the second my chips are over the line, she goes, all in. For like a thousand more, and I'm sit I'm sitting there with my hands still on the chips, you know, where I was feeling oh so cool two seconds ago, and I was thinking, can I take it back? My hands not up. Is this like chess? Yeah. Is this like chess? My finger isn't off the piece, mm-hmm. you know. But unfortunately, that is not how yeah. poker works. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, uh, I lost a little. I lost one buy-in in the game over two nights, which uh, I. I did not really win a clutch pot while I was playing cash, so I really didn't care about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing. I, I really, I'm making laydowns that I've never made before. I'm. It was many times I just folded a pair of trips and turned out to be right, or the nut flush draw, and sure enough, the guy had a set. And there was another time. Uh, a guy bet the river and I had third pair and I said, I think you're trying to take it. And I, I'd like to think I got a verbal tell from him mm-hmm. and I called and he had nothing. He had six high. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact I'm not really playing cash games. My interest in cash games is not making money. It is continuing to practice in a live environment. I, I do believe live poker is where the bulk of my money is going to come from. Now, am I not going to play online poker here? No, of course not. I'm going to play online poker. I don't know how much online poker I'm going to play before tax season because I really got to focus on, well, divorce gets very expensive, and then you spend all your money on the divorce, and the IRS, unfortunately, goes, hey, we still want our cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't just get to spend all of that. and, And, you know, to which I respond, it's not as if I had a choice. Uh, but I love lawyers, man. Hey, we wrote these two pages. Can we have $850? It's like, I want this job, man. <laughs> oh, oh, what'd you do? You copied and pasted it, and actually your paralegal did it? Well, that's great. That's great. You know, I want this job. And, yeah, it's uh, that was always weird to me in New York. There was a lot of lawyers that talked quite a bit about their money, and considering what I had to just deal with with lawyers, I was not too into that. Oh, you but just, just reminded me of something. Sorry to jump in at when you said New York lawyers. I watched a really weird, obscure documentary that was made last year um, called Tickled. And if yeah. anybody wants anything really weird to watch, like documentary, about a subject that seems so like ridiculous and surreal, and then it goes down this rabbit hole that is just weird, um, watch Tickled. It's so... It's so fucked up. It's weird. Is it, is, it a, is it about a lawsuit? About like some guy tickling no, a girl or something? No, no, it's about this competitive sport tickling. Competitive tickling. Where like these guys like basically tickle each other when they're tied down and then it goes down a path that's like whoa, what's going on here? What is, yeah, yeah, that... Yeah, new, I guess there was a lawyer in the mix. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm yeah, failing to see the connection. It, okay, it, great. It, he, was a, he was a lawyer, and his dad was one of the biggest uh, 
like partner in one of the biggest law firms in Manhattan, in New York. So it was that, which is it really. I rem- I had a reminder to say it on the podcast, and you you said something that triggered it off there that made me. Say okay. It. Um, yeah. You that's, should watch uh, it as well, Alex. It's just weird. It's just it goes a place that's just like, just weird, frightening. I, it's really unsettling. The whole documentary. It's strange. I could see how that could. Uh, by the way, are you guys hearing anything wrong when I I'm holding this? new microphone that Carlos is allowing me to borrow, which is apparently for professional podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it kind of, it kind of said, you know, you guys are 150 episodes and might be time to clean that up a bit. And I said, I do agree, but yeah, this no, sounds okay. A whistle. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. I'm holding a microphone like I'm Richard Pryor, but yeah, this is interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, I could see how that type of neurosis, neuroses could develop in New York because everything is really fast and there's a general lack of, every, everybody is nice in New York, but they're really in a rush and they really need you to get to the point and there's perhaps not as much savoring life and a real focus on money and I could see how that could be misconstrued, mis poorly constructed into something as odd as a tickling competition. That is, I don't know if that's a rabbit hole I want to go down, Barry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth watching. It's an hour and a half. It's weird. It's weird. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it goes a place that's just like, wow, like, what was that about? Or what is all this about? Well, it's strange. You well, know? yeah, so when I was at the gay club in Montreal, there was these kids dressed up as, uh, what do you call them, like stuffed animals or whatever, mm-hmm. and people were telling me there's apparently names for that right? and everything, and then I, I said, I guess this is an Adam Carolla line, I looked it up, and I was like, I said, is that a sexual thing? And they said no, and I, my, my first thought was ten times worse now, mm-hmm. ten times worse. You know, I understand a little bit if it's yeah. a sex thing, now, mm-hmm. I, now I'm just confused. Why, yeah. why do we dress like a teddy bear before we go to the concert, <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah, there was, uh, yeah, that was different. That was, that was, that was bizarre, man. That was, uh, uh, it's, it's weird the rabbit holes people go down, man, you know, at at the risk of sounding ignorant. I'm going to cut myself off now, but yeah. Yeah, uh, let's, let's get into the, the good, let's uh, do so, let's do so. Um, clean, clean poker, yeah. yeah. This one is uh, email in from Adam Wandler. And, hey, Adam. Um, firstly, let me say thank you to both of you guys for the great podcast. Thanks to Alex's numerous training podcasts, in particular Live Poker 101. I had an amazing run at a WSOP circuit event and finished 15th out of 610 entrants. For my hey, first, good for you, man. That's my, awesome. Yeah, for my first five-figure cash. Um, That's really cool. On to the question. I have a more of a poker budget as opposed to a poker bankroll since I work full time and I'm early in my poker career. I plan to be in Vegas for a gaming event during the WSOP and was trying to extend that trip to play poker as well. Unfortunately, the timing lines up with only the main event, which exceeds my annual budget. For the WSOP circuit, I sold percentages of myself to friends but to get to the main event buy-in, down to what I'm looking to pay, I would need to sell 50% plus, and I'm not sure I have friends, family interested in putting that much down. 
Would you recommend trying to find other means of backing or just entering some daily deep stacks and pushing back any WSOP aspirations to later years? Thanks, and keep up the great work, Adam Wandler. Well, uh, hey Adam, thank you for sending in the message. That really means a lot to us. I have mixed emotions on this. My first emotion is if you can play the main events in any way, you should do it. Uh, in the words of Carlos Welch, there's really only one magical tournament that is the main event. And it, it even if you sold 50% of yourself, 60% of yourself, that's still plenty of yourself. You, you think of 40% of 8 million, should you win, I, I think you'll live. Yeah, I think, I think it'll work. I think it'll work, you know. They do let you spend the money. They, uh, People don't walk around going, there's that guy who gave away $4 million to his friends and family. They just, oh, there's that guy who won $3 million. That's fine. Uh, I think if you can sell that much, I think you should gauge your interest to see if that is really what you want to do. If you find you really have to push your friends and family in order to sell that much of a percentage of yourself, I don't think it's worth it then because I think you're, from my limited interactions with you, I think you're probably a pretty good guy and good guys do not like having their family overextend themselves so they can live their poker dreams. That's not something that really works well in their makeup. Uh, their, uh, I guess their composition, their character. Uh, I, I would find... I would say gauge interest. You, if you can play the main event, play the main. You, you, you do want that experience and do see it as an investment, not a money-making opportunity. If you think it's a money-making opportunity, I find you're going to take, a, take it as the wrong opportunity that could have been working for you uh, as the right the, the right course in my mind is to go in and say, this is an experience. I'm paying for this experience. It's just $4,000. If, and people pay for experiences all the time. If you have some kids in football or basket, you know, select basketball or something, uh, it might cost you a couple thousand dollars for the dues and stuff like that. People go to motivational seminars all the time and nobody seems to have an errant word for them. Uh, I, I think if you want to pay $4,000 for an experience in the main event, uh, by all means, go do so. And there is the chance you will cash. That is completely likely. It's not likely, but it's completely possible. Especially if you review Live Poker 101, which you were already in. Uh, I do believe you have a really good chance. That said, I would pay for the experience if the money is going to be too stressful. If it's going to impede your poker play and perhaps your mood, I think that's a great way to ruin your Las Vegas trip. And I, Because the whole time you're there, you're going to be thinking about this main event you're not ready for. And then when you're in the main event, you're going to be thinking about, uh, oh my God, the money that I put up, if it's like that, just go ahead and play the dailies. The dailies are a lot of fun. They're fast. They do give you some play. The, the general quality of poker there is not that high. 
So it is very fun to play. And, yeah, I think you'll have a good time just doing that if you want the experience of playing Las Vegas poker. I'd also recommend playing at other casinos. I find I find the Rio to be pretty soft. There, there also seems to be quite a few professionals there, uh, whereas... There are other places. I guess there's not a huge difference, but I've also, I've always really enjoyed playing at the Venetian. It's a very nice property. I don't know if you're going with your girlfriend or not, but there will be a lot of things for her to do. Whereas the Rio is kind of a it's kind of a poop stain off the uh, off the strip. Uh, I think Barry can attest to this. What did you think of the Rio, Barry? Yeah, it's a dump. Yeah, it's a bad. dump. Yeah, I stayed there for three nights. Um, when I was there in 2012 playing, and it was like so underwhelming, it was unreal. I mean, the, yeah, it's from it the quality of the rooms to everything. And yeah, I played the daily and did well. I mean, I cashed, I, I got fifth in one, and Alex, you won one, didn't you, as well? So I, like did, I did win one for you know. some absurd amount of money that I mean, not I think it was just 20 something thousand, but. Uh, when you consider the buy-in was $200 yeah, and yeah. it was a night's work, it was pretty weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with Alex. I'd say they, like that deep start, I didn't see any... There wasn't one table I sat at and thought, I'm, not gonna, I'm going to avoid this guy. Or, I don't want to play against you know this guy. He's you know going to wipe right. the floor with me. And that was that was a long... Like you say, it's a 7 o'clock, and I think we finished at 3, 4 in the morning. So... It's kind of quick, but I did see enough players to gauge, like, you know, and I played another, I think I played two or three, uh, three mats I would have played, and yeah, none of the standard was like, wow, you know, this guy. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it was, was just. ABC, and, um, but yeah, what you could do as well, you, there's, I, I assume it's the same now, I mean, there's so many satellites for the main event as well, like, you could play the dailies and then play one of these $500 satellites, or a thousand dollars the ten man sit and go where there's one seat or you know it's like and then if you get in you're you're in sort of thing and then still sell pieces off or whatever i I don't know how you know you could do that but you could you could equally play one of the 500 satellites you know they've got the mega satellites where there's a few seats and stuff and you know if you if you're sort of set and then that way you sort of leave it at that if i don't satellite in, I'm not playing it then, and then that way if you do, you're in for $500 or $1,000 or whatever. Yeah, exactly, and uh, going back to how the Rio is a dump, uh, the Rio <laughs> looks like, it does look like, in the 70s, I bet it was a very nice property compared to what was normal in Las Vegas at that time because they were trying to do the sweets thing, mm. with, but if you're going with a significant other, I think it's probably a very good idea. You go to a property such as the Wynn or the Venetian because there's, thanks mom. And, uh, I, I just had my mom take a picture of me with this funny microphone. I'm a real radio personality, Barry. I have a real <laughs> microphone. I need video proof of this. I, I picture you just sitting on a stool and like randomly getting up and walking back and forward and then sitting back down, you know, like, that's Not kind sorry. of what it's like. That's kind of well. I I have to carry the mic with me now because uh, Car- Carlos told me he goes, yeah, I have a really good microphone, but you know, you're not going to be able to walk all around the house with it because I guess I rock back and forth quite a bit while I'm talking on microphones while I teach. But yeah, uh, the Venetian was always my favorite place to play uh, back when I was with my uh, ex-wife because there was just so much for us to do when. 
if, God forbid, you do bust the deep sack tournament, there's an Italian bakery slash cafe where you can get real Italian coffee and it tastes really good. And uh, there's shops for everybody to look at and there's the canals, the fake canals. And, and then there's Sheldon Addison who has done so much for us in our fight to play online poker in the United States. So, yeah, you know, you got to support the troops, sir. But, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of just go to Vegas and enjoy yourself, gamble responsible, gamble, gamble responsibly with the money that you do feel very good with using. I like that you have a poker budget. I do tell my friends who have a day-to-day job, it's better for you to have a poker budget because if you have a poker budget... You, you can take some shots that other people can't take and look at it as an experience, which is not... When I started playing poker at 18 and it was just my professional job, I, I, I didn't really have that option because if I blew my bankroll, that was it. I had to go work security again and that just wasn't going to happen. It was very boring and I was trying to get myself out of there. You do have these opportunities and I think... If you're comfortable with it, play the main event. Otherwise, I'd play Venetian Deep Sacks if it were personally me. And I'd spend a lot of time walking the strip. There's really nothing like Vegas. I just read there because I was sure, like what you said, I remember my experience checking into the Rio and being like, wow, this place is really run down. I'm like getting into the room and it was a suite, so it was massive, but from the television to the carpets, everything was just like, Blah, dated and horrible and yeah, I just checked yeah. there like when you were saying the seventies, the Rio only opened in nineteen ninety, Alex. Really? Yeah. I just, really? Yeah, I just googled it there. Yeah, to check. God, what happened, man? I know. <laughs> I know. It's so like wow, you know. But yeah, I would say I stayed at where was it Harris on the strip, and there was a free shuttle bus because it's the same owners or right, to right. the Rio. So that was good in that way because the Rio is, if you've ever been to Vegas, you know it's a bit out. It's like you can't just walk right. there from the strip sort of thing. So, um, yeah, there's lots of tournaments to be up. And like Alex said, I mean, if you play the daily and you win 30K, I mean, you know, good, good luck to you and you'll enjoy that, I'm sure, just as much. But if you've Again, got your... they let you they let you spend the money. Nobody yeah, says, yeah. Nobody hey. says you won that in a daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most... Yeah, nobody says, oh, you won this in a daily versus bad players. Well, that was... That was the most badass response I ever heard was... They asked David Singer, do you ever like... Do you ever wish you could be at the top of the rankings? Or when people ask you... When people do their top tournament poker players list for the year does it make you mad you don't even show up in their top 10 and he looked really confused by the question and he, he goes they still let me spend the money <laughs> and it's, oh yeah good point you know i it's you know you can keep your men wins cashing for 88 bucks and 75 dollars sit and goes in taiwan i'll take uh mm-hmm. i'll take my two million dollar score or whatever <laughs> he had at that time i'll 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 live yeah. I'll make it, right? Yeah, I'm trying to... Man, the cut topic of money, man. Got to get back on that train. It's it's amazing being out in America because I went... Okay, so I decided time to go get a new cell phone. This old... I've been leaning on this iPhone for four years, this iPhone 5, because it cost me $500 or whatever it was. And 
I am traveling with what looks like a rocket pack of backup chargers to make this work, right? Mm -hmm. And because my cell phone literally would last two, three minutes with the battery, I tried to go in Prague to an Apple store to replace the battery. They told me it would take 12 days. So anyway, I just decided to go to an electronics store. I found an Android, Samsung Android phone, which is bigger and better than my iPhone, way more functional, works a thousand times better, 80 bucks. It was $80. And I go to the, and it's like, well, good thing, you know, we're pissing off China because I totally want this to cost $200 next year. This is, uh, I like how cheap everything is in America, man. Like everything's, I went to go buy steaks. Steaks are four bucks here. It sounds really weird, but in Costa Rica, a steak would be, like a good steak would be $20. Uh, like a really, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you were buying cheese, you know, cheese is ten dollars, and you you go to buy a can of tuna, it's like three bucks. They just, I, I didn't realize how much Costa uh, the Costa Rican government. There is a joke that the Costa Rican government just completely de- takes advantage of their people. Uh, by the way, some. People have gotten penalized for saying this while in the country, so now maybe I can say some things that I didn't really, I couldn't really say before. But yeah, they uh, uh, they doubled my taxes in Costa Rica just randomly. Uh, they were just, oh, by the way, we need this much money, and I go, really? Because this is twice. I had about the same salary as last year, and last year it was about half this. But okay, and uh, yeah, they. Uh, the, the the roads are in complete disarray. Nobody can drive. Everybody is in traffic for three hours a day. Uh, the common family cannot afford anything at the grocery store because the price of food is more expensive. National food. There is a there is a brand called Dos Pinos, and which I realize sounded like a very bad word, but Barry, you should just move right past it. I don't know why you brought that up. That is so awkward. But yeah, it is like this food company and the food is cheaper in Panama than it is in Costa Rica because their own government is putting so many taxes on local food and yeah it's so nice to be in America where well it's so nice to speak English again all the time because I used to get really pissed off speaking Spanish all day because no matter how good I get at it I I don't think in Spanish I I don't have that gear Mm. uh and that really makes speaking in Spanish all day troublesome because you're translating the entire time in your head. And if you're translating the entire time in your head, you're not, you're not really in the moment. You're not really enjoying yourself. You just feel like you're taking a high school Spanish test for two and a half hours every single day. And it, was, you know, it, it made my Spanish really... Functional. It made myself my Spanish very practical, and it's fun to show off with that. But I was just really tired when I left there, and the the money was just crazy. And it's like I just love America is so cheap, dude, and everything's available all the time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, everybody's been calling me Tarzan here because I just didn't know any of this stuff existed. It's also, it's really weird to me, Barry. You made a really good point, which was the other day. It's, I don't live in the United States anymore. I have not been back to the United States living here for nine years. 
mm-hmm. more than nine years. That is a third of my life. That is the entirety of the Obama presidency. I have not been in the United States. Yeah. So this country has changed so much. It is amazing. It, it's so... Everything's open all the time. Everything is really cheap. There's an app for everything is also the thing I noticed. You know, Lyft, Uber, Seamless. I didn't know what this thing Seamless was. Do you know what Seamless is? No, not heard of it either. Seamless is an app. I was in New York. You just turn it on and you're connected to 260 restaurants with all their ratings and written reviews and you can order from them and they... You just have little check boxes for everything you want to order, and the tip is built in, and they just deliver it right to your hotel. Nice. Just right there. Yeah, I mean, everything, everything was practical. Everything, yeah. It's, uh, no, it's, it's like living in a science fiction universe coming back to the United States, but it is perhaps a dystopian universe because I saw something the other day that this is the most divided electorate ever in the United States. Uh, at this time in the Obama presidency, I believe I can't. I'm going to get these numbers mixed up, but Barack Obama had a 39% approval rating from Republicans, and Ronald Reagan had a 32% approval rating from uh, Democrats. Right now, Donald Trump has an 8% approval rating from Democrats or people who lean liberal, and an 85% rating from Republicans, which, by the way, is higher than Ronald Reagan ever got, who's our conservative hero. So this is the most divided electorate ever, and we have... We, uh, we recently had... Uh, you hear of this guy, Milo Yolanopoulos? Yeah, but Very, I don't know who he is, but I've seen it all on Twitter and stuff. I don't know, he's some he was a, right-wing guy or something. Yeah, he was a gay Catholic commentator, and this guy just traded in controversy. He just went to university, said a bunch of you know, pretty sexist stuff, pretty yeah. pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty bad this. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, they would go, we're going to shut down campus, to which I'd always groan because I'd say... Oh, God, you know, you're just giving him exactly what he wants, which is popularity for no reason. And, yeah, sh- sure enough, he, uh, you know, he, he finally made a joke that went too far uh, where it sounded like he condoned pedophilia. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of the guy I saw in the news yesterday in the United States. And I was like, hey, we're changing. The times, they are changing. This is not the... When I left the United States, George Bush was president, and we, we were just making fun of his facial expressions at the end. He kind of learned how to not talk because that would get him in trouble. But now, you know, we have, uh, we have guys like, uh, oh, we have David Duke. We have uh, a lot of these, like, right-wing dudes. And, yeah, it's a... Then, you know, left-wing people are yelling death to traitors and stuff. Yeah, man. America's amazing. It's, God, dude. Where else are you going to find a country this violent with service staff this wonderful? Like, only (laughs) in the United States will you find that. Give me another question. Let's go. Okay, next question is from Ross. Uh, Hi, what are some of the current trends in MTT play that you see really taking hold over the last year or so? What do you think is an... I'm sorry, I'll take my... uh, Put my teeth in, rather, I should say. 
<laughs> what do you think is an in, an advancement, and what do you think is just the latest gimmick? Thanks. Well, I uh, to be honest with you, I'm just getting really familiar with the MTT crowd again because uh, when you're getting divorced, you don't feel like playing a whole ton of poker. And uh, from what I'm seeing, let me tell you what's. By the way, I could just see my competition asking me this. You know, Alex, how do you play poker right now? <laughs> this is, is essentially, this is what I've noticed recently. And a lot of this comes up. If you enjoy the answer to this question, I highly recommend you pick up Test Your Poker too, because it's all my thoughts on the current state of poker. This, this is what I've noticed. Everybody, I, I will tell you what people are doing and why I patently disagree with it. A lot of early position opens. I really do not like this play because if you go onto a database of a very talented player, any of your talented friends, and you filter for when they're 3-bet and they're out of position, you will find often they cannot turn a profit. I don't care how good the guy is, generally the guy's not turning a profit. You have him flat, a lot of times he can mitigate some losses, you have him fold slightly more pronounced losses, but if you have them calling when they shouldn't be calling, the losses skyrocket. And uh, no one's really turning a profit, so you shouldn't be opening an early position at all. Uh, what you should be doing, which is very interesting if you look at a lot of databases, is you should be 3-betting early position raisers more because I saw a guy, somebody said... This kid in Montreal is, you know, he's a hot shot professional player. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know how many times I've heard that. And uh, he opens under the gun plus one, you know, hot shot, throws his chips, and he gets three bet by, I don't, I don't want to say a very tight player, but tighter. And, uh, you know, comes around to, uh, you know, the superhero. He flats with, uh, anyway, long story short, he has 5-3 suited. Uh, he has 5-3 high. He raised calls. If I had done that in 2010, I would have been described as a psychopath. Uh, there is nobody batted an eye at the table. They just, yeah, you know, he, stu- he stole it with 5-3 suited into eight players, which is not a terrific idea. Uh, and then he flatted a three bet. What's the big deal? That is a monstrously hyper-aggressive play. And unless you have a very specific read, it is not a good idea. I would not recommend that course of action in that, that grouping of events. That being said, what you should be doing much more often is three-betting in position, opening in position. I know this sounds like going back to basics, but guess what? The basics were the basics for a reason. Yeah. That... <laughs> And, uh, you know, nobody listens to jazz and goes, I don't want this rhythm section. Throw this rhythm section out. Oh, so everybody just solos all night? Yeah, let's do that. I I don't think that's going to work. That's not going to... The whole reason the solo pops is because there's a rhythm section. Poker's is like that. And I I really believe right now you have to return to a classic form. Uh, And I'm really enjoying playing tight aggressive again. I played... In the six-max tournament I final tabled, I didn't play a hand for three and a half hours. I had a 
Israeli kid who I'm I'm not joking. I I don't think stopped talking the entire time we were there. Uh, he told me he might be the best in the world. Uh, he he said it was pretty incredible to know he was the best in the world. Uh, I said, yeah, that must be a pretty amazing feeling, man. And then uh, I value that third parent to him. Uh, he called. I tabled third pair and p- took my bet back. He got very angry because I guess the best in the world shouldn't get value bet by third pair, right? Uh, and, you know, he tried to go, did you think you were bluffing? I said, no, I did not believe I was bluffing. Well, that's a pretty bad bet. And I was like, that's why you called, right? And it was, uh, it was very fun to verbally joust with someone who... Well, the best in the world. Yeah, he was the best, bro. He said, I'm the best in Montreal. I might be the best in the world. And uh, I, I don't know who he was. He, by the way, a really nice kid. I just, I want, he was really nice. I had no, nothing. I believe poker takes all types of people. You have to go in there. And to be fair, he's a very, very talented poker player. He, he did some over bets I loved when I was watching, right? I was a fan, but when I'm at the table, I don't get to be a fan. I have to be kind of a jerk, right? And, yeah, I, f- I felt like I got him to lay off me just a bit. He was a very good player, though. He played very well. But, yeah, you know, when he was at my table, not a whole lot I could do. Just such is life. Uh, I had to... I had to sit there and be a mature person and try to be an adult, which is sometimes I don't get to play poker. Mm-hmm. I have to sit there and not play cards. Jack nine suited under the gun. This looks really nice. Unfortunately, you know, this Israeli kid. And then who's the other kid? Doritos. Uh, Doritos is a French Canadian poker professional. Really nice guy. And oh yeah, I can play dynamite. No limit. Hold him. When I was playing with him a little on the nitty side, but very good. Uh, yeah, when they're at my table and it's a six-max table and one guy's missing, I, I don't get to open Jack-9 suited because they're going to three-bet me pretty effectively. Or I can when they're in the blinds, but I can't when they're in position. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I never understood that when I was younger. I just felt, I have Jack-9 suited. I'm Alexander Fitzgerald. I can play this hand. I know what I'm doing, and that's just preposterously stupid and arrogant and dumb. There are times you do not get to play in No Limit Hold'em, and we can't be a child and go, no, it's my turn for Hungry Hungry Hippos. You get off. I don't care that I'm third in line at the daycare. It's my turn. Well, you're still in line. You don't get to play. And we, what we have right now in poker is... 95% of these poker players are entitled brats that cannot fold. They cannot fold. They're, they're allowed to play. They want to play. And this is very true of live poker. Online poker, still some entitlement, but it's getting weeded out by, in my mind, the stronger technical players, which tend to be European. Let's, get, let's give credit where credit is due. Uh, the Europeans have taken a very technical game I like a lot. I don't know if it's going to make you the best poker player in the world, but it will allow you to make a profit and live very comfortably in a city like the Czech Republic or something like that, but uh, in the Czech Republic in Prague or something. But, um, yeah, I, I do feel that everybody is doing way too many of these early position opens, and they're flatting way too many three-bets. Uh, if you're going to flat, you better be a badass no-limit hold'em player. Uh, I do flat a decent number of three-bets, but 
I am doing it with the understanding that I am just looking to save my bet. And if I'm ever at a stage in a tournament, let's say I open and this really great No Limit Hold'em player, the Israeli kid, three bets me. There is a really good chance I can make my losses in this hand go from 2.5x to 1.9x if I call. It is not worth the .6 big blinds to play with this kid out of position. That's a very, I, I think that's a very inopportune moment. Uh, if you're playing a cash game, you have no choice. You must reload. In tournament poker, when you have 60 big blinds positioned on the best players, and there's a few, there's 90% of the field is French Canadians having a good time. I don't believe it's a good idea, and I believe passing on those decisions is the reason I have two final tables in two very different climates, uh, two very different poker climates in the last three months. Yeah. I believe that's why five of my last six live tournament series have been have been profitable. Uh, I do not believe if I was making those adjustments, if I was, say, playing like this one knucklehead, I know Barry Chalmers, and just, you know, flatting with tens when I had no idea what to do. I don't know how many final tables I'd be making. How many final tables have you made this year, Barry? Uh, online or live? Uh, online? Um, two, definitely uh, you got one, me outdone. I guess I shouldn't be talking, Barry. Uh, yeah, you yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I made that live one as well last just in December. There, that's last year though. Now, so. that's cool. But, uh, did this one get more than nineteen runners or? Uh, uh, there was many... two hundred and forty in that one. Two hundred and forty, and you made the final table. Yeah, I got. I went out seven, eight, eight, eight. I went out. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know they. I didn't know they ran free rolls that big. Yeah. And got... <laughs> that's cool. yeah, that's uh, how, what, yeah. what was the buy? What was the buy? Uh, that one was two twenty, I think, two hundred and twenty. That's yeah. a big, that's a big old tournament. How yeah, much it was thirty-five that? Oh, that... guaranteed. It was uh, yeah, yeah. It passed the guarantee, obviously. Uh, what did I get? I think you that? told me all about eleven hundred, eleven hundred. Yeah, ace king against eights. I just, uh, that was it. I, I, you know, I hate it when people do that. I just was gonna say ace king, but I, I. There, there was something in the back of my my mind that said Ace King, and I was like, "Oh yes, I heard of this bust out." But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, good for you, bro. <laughs> I'm really proud for you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but do you feel as if, and all serious now, Barry? Do you feel as if passing up on some marginal spots is what got you there, or do you feel taking every spot you could find is what got you there? No, passing, as I say, you, you know the background, like when I was playing in Aberdeen, I went up with my girlfriend and stuff, and I played that tournament, and if I'm honest with myself, I probably shouldn't have even played that tournament, I wasn't really in a great frame of mind to play and whatever, but I had the hotel booked and the train, we decided to turn it into like a weekend, and it was one of those ones that like, I, as you know, it's horrible to play that, because you are tossing off money, you know what I mean, it's like, I'm going to play this tournament just because it's on and I'm up here, so I'm buying in anyway, and I'm going to just, you know, whatever. It, it, whereas the other one, I really felt, I know it's easy to say because you made the final table, but I, I do believe retrospectively as well, I felt good and in control that whole tournament in terms of my mindset of really, right, ta right. really taking my time and thinking... You know, just like you say, really taking into account my position, my exactly. image. Exactly, your position in the tournament. Where, yeah, where, everything. Where, at, at, what, at what point of the war game board am I 
should I not sacrifice my elevation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were spots. There were spots where, like, you know, a guy I know actually from playing years ago, an older guy, like tight, aggressive, just standard, you know, pretty standard play. You can, he almost plays his hands face up. You know, it's like he's got it if he's putting it in. You know, and right. uh, like to a to a crazy degree. And he raised, and there was a call, and I had like ace jack suited, and I was like, you know, this is, you know, you know, I was like. It was just like spots where, like, I was in that mindset of like, like, what's the point here? You know what I mean? It's like, what am right. I going to achieve here? What is just being aware of, like you say, every hand's an investment, and like, is this? Well, what is the risk reward? Basically, you, I think you just got to. It's so easy in the tournament sometimes, especially if you're not picking up hands, or maybe someone's not annoying you, but you know, there's that dynamic at the table that you're saying. There's this guy giving off, and the table turns into a bit of right. a. I almost not everyone's strategy, like especially you as a professional, it shouldn't. But people are human, and you get into that, like, oh well, this is the way this game's playing, man. Let's fucking go for it, sort of thing, you know. Rather than right, just, right. rather than just being, well, what's the risk reward here? No, it's, it's skewed badly and you know against me. So pop, that's very pop. well said. Yeah, not going with the game's flow, going yeah. with trying to impose your own. Yeah. table flow on but also but them also them realizing well. that has its limitations sorry go ahead almost using that against them it's like spotting the flow and knowing that what's happening but right, playing right. in a way that you're actually using that as a strength sort of thing like you're saying if all these guys are going crazy then go back to helmet's top 10 hands you know it's like right exactly you know? and by the way i don't always play like that in the cash game in bullhead city by the way harrow's room and bull uh Excuse me, Harrow's in Laughlin, Nevada. You get to look out over the Colorado River while you're playing, and I thought that was very cool. So mm. thank you guys for building that card room. But yeah, I played every hand in that cash game because it's a slightly different clientele than a world poker tour event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, what you're saying is right. If the game's just wild, you just hang out there. If everybody's limping in and playing around, uh, maybe take charge a bit. But uh I think you also have to be in a really good place mentally in order to impose your own will on the poker table. If you show up looking how I did at the WSOP, which is 50 pounds overweight, sickly, divorce papers in my backpack, Mm. uh, I I knew the entire Live Poker 101 was very fun to put together because I had never played a hand selection that would be as if I were a 15-13 rag who knew nothing. But I knew I had no edge in that tournament if I tried to take over everything because a sickly person who looks that dour is not someone you're going to let beat you. That is going to frustrate you. However, if you show up at the poker table and you're in decent shape, you're smiling, you're happy with life, that gets people a little off. That gets people, uh, I don't want to mess with this dude. He seems like he's getting his life together. And this is one of those benefits that I think you have to work for in your private life. You really have to make sure. That's why you can't be drinking that much. You can't be. uh, If you do do drink, do it on the weekends. If you do smoke weed, don't do it all the time. And generally, this isn't mind sport. It probably would be best if you're try to be as lucid as possible at all times and take care of yourself and I do believe you can have that mental edge but if you you don't do that it's 
going to be much more frustrating. Do we have more time for another question? We've got time for a question. Yeah, we've got time for another one. And um, this one is Pete. I'm just sorry. I'm thinking of playing more live games this year. I played some live tournaments recently, and the standard was just the same as it was five years ago. I'm only going on last few tournaments I played, but I mean guys making huge critical errors. I know the real rake with travel, expenses, food, etc. make it expensive, but should all online guys be throwing in more live games because on average the fields are so much weaker? Uh, thank you for your question. I, I do believe, what was his name? Pete. What? Pete. P-E-T-E. Pete. 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 Hey, Pete, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it. I do believe... I was talking about this with Carlos recently, and I, I said, for better or worse, my focus is mostly going to be on live poker from this point out. I, I do enjoy online poker quite a bit. A friend of mine described online poker as an effing waste of time. Uh, recently, I, I think if you're trying to multi-table it now, I, I don't believe that's as good of a strategy just because the generic player has become so much better. But for learning how to exploit regs, online poker is monstrously fun. Uh, but you can't really do that and play more than four tables. Mm. You you do need to really... If you want to learn to exploit regs, which has been my greatest experiment in online poker, and I think my most educational, you, 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 a lot of times it's good if you play like two tables. That's, that's really good. And uh, I think that will generally help you. Uh, that being said, I, I think it, most of your focus should be in live poker these days because the games are soft. They're not getting tougher. They're all over the place. I think to mitigate the travel expenses, you have a couple of choices. Uh, you, you, have th- you have three in my mind, which is play high stakes, live in Europe, live in the United States. Uh, you cannot make a living playing tournaments in Oceania. Uh, I guess if you live in Australia, but they have a very... Oceania? I don't know how you pronounce that. Australasia? I don't believe that part of the world you could make a good amount of money from because lack of volume also... I guess if you could live in Australia, you could, but my understanding is Australia has very prickly uh, entrance requirements, so I I just don't see that one working. And remember, I lived in all these time zones and places. I lived in Seoul for a year. I lived in Costa Rica for seven years. That was absolutely awful for live tournaments because every flight out of Costa Rica... If I wanted to fly from San Jose to Panama, which was a 45-minute flight, uh, I would pay $398 minimum uh, to give you an idea of how expensive plane tickets are. The great Costa Rican government needs $160 to process you leaving. No, it's actually... It is... $26 at the airport and then on your flight dossier it will say 80 something more dollars so yeah and you got to pay 100 200 bucks whenever you want to get out Uh, that doesn't really work that well so your options to me are you play higher so you're playing you think you have some insane edge and you can play a lot of high stakes events at all of these bigger tournaments Uh, I I don't believe that's a practical I don't believe that's practical. 
so your other two advances are living in Europe or living in the United States. If you live in Europe, if you live in an Eastern European country, the cost can be very, very low. I don't, I was looking into what is the cheapest country that's still connected to the rail system in uh, Europe because I had this hypothesis that you could really bring up your profits if you use the rail system in Europe. It was fascinating, Barry. You can get anywhere in Europe, but in Western Europe, let's say you want to go from Holland to Switzerland, right? Well, you can do it in four hours. If you're trying to cover that same distance in Eastern Europe, it is 20 hours and five train changes. It is All of Europe is connected, but it's so different from one part to the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think if you could find a country with really good infrastructure, really good prices, and I don't know how it's changed because I lived in Malta nine years ago or whatever it was, but back then there was no Ryanair. There was no budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was no budget travel. So perhaps this is a lot easier now in Europe. The problem in Europe is housing. Uh, I do find that many of the Airbnb people in Europe really know how much their properties are worth. So while my apartment in Prague was gorgeous, and worth three times the price. It was still a little expensive. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, one of the best places to live is the United States, especially if you're from a country where the United States has a tax treaty with you. Uh, I can't remember who... I want to say England does, but... We, there's, we, have, we have tax-free UK winning in Vegas. Really? Yeah. Okay, so you... Okay, if you're from the United Kingdom, I, I think staying in the United Kingdom might not be the greatest idea because when it comes to currency leveraging from the U.S. dollar to pound sterling is yeah, not... You're screwed just now. Yeah. You're just screwed, yeah. You're, you're not doing that well. And that, whereas if you take... Uh, you go to a part of the United States, uh, I, I'll give you the whole reason Carlos and I were talking about cheap places to live and we we're talking about Laughlin, Nevada, because a hotel room here is 20 bucks a night. Yeah, that's so yeah, where do you know that has 20 bucks a night? By the way, Laughlin... Delhi. Delhi, yeah, New Delhi. Yeah, exactly. And it was a nice, you know, it's nice, and there's like, uh, there's there's uh, the Colorado River, and people like riding their jet skis on it. But, uh, yeah, uh, the rent I'm paying for a, I want to say a two-bedroom house here, uh, my rent in Seattle when I was 18 years old was very similar to that price, right? So you you think about, it's like going back in time 11 years in my home city, these rent rates, right? And that's how a lot of the United States is. There's a lot of places you can buy a house for eighty, a hundred thousand dollars, some places twenty or three. If you would like a house in Detroit right now, you can get one for three thousand. And then there's parts of the United States. I was just in Manhattan, and it's, you know, how, how much is this studio condo? Oh, $3.4 million. So there's quite a bit of disparity in the United States, but you can work that to your advantage. Find a safe place that's really in the crossroads. That's why uh, we're here in Laughlin. It's a few hours to Mexico, uh, to L.A. It's a couple hours, to Las Vegas it's a couple hours, and it's quiet, and, yeah, it's cheap, and 
you're just close to all the LA poker tournaments. You're close to all the Las Vegas poker tournaments. Uh, Colorado, I do think, gets some of that Heartland poker tour and mid-stakes poker tour stops, and that's, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump over. Uh-huh. And uh, flights are cheap in the United States. If Let's say I wanted to go to New York, the furthest point from... I could pretty much go if I w- was staying within the continental United States. $260 round trip. Yeah. Uh, from, yeah, I, so I believe these, this is how you keep costs down... When it comes to live poker tournaments, I love live poker. I, I, I don't know how to hide it. I, I'm in love with poker again. It's all because of live poker. It's so It's because fun. it's an analog thing in a digital world, Alex. That's what it Ooh, is. Ooh, that's, Barry, that's why you make the big bucks. You know, Say it again. Say it again. It's, it's, it an, again. it's an analog thing in a digital world. It is. It's, yeah, that's it's true. It's touching those chips. It's getting the it cash in your hand and everything. You it know? is. That's, like, that was the big thing. Like, walking out. Like, okay, walking out of, like, the dingy check casino. And it's, like, literally there's, like, one light in mm-hmm. the cashier's cage. It looked like something out of Rounders. Yeah. There's one light in the cashier's cage, and there's, you know check model drink girls like sweating the cashier's cage and you're pulling out 15k euros mm-hmm. and like breathing out the cigarette smoke it's like oh yeah i have arrived when you show up <laughs> drinking your jamba juice and your adidas sweatpants at the bank to cash in your 15k check it it doesn't it. quite yeah. have the same reaction <laughs> you know once you get this from playing a video game online yeah. They have cards and chips and things. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, it was... I felt like a professional gambler again, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it was just... There is something I well, love well, about that. Well, it's, li- it's life. It's, li- it's you, you know, as much as online's got benefits and stuff and it's good, and, you know, I'm just, you know, never play online, etc. You know, like, our sponsors are online. It's like, you know, right. o- online poker, the, the rate back, etc. But... You do have to get out there as well from your house and from your bedroom and live life and experience. And, and I think yeah, everybody okay. that plays poker, are they've got that romance about them, about the old stuff and that old school feel, and it's still there. And that's why, you know, the biggest tournament in the world and the most magical, as Carlos and you've said as well, is still the main event, a live tournament. It's not right. the Sunday Million. Right. It's not some... It's not some big super tournament online with, like, you know, a 10K buyer and so many thousand people. People want to actually live it, you know, rather than just... You know what was occurring to me is I had a lot of fun in Montreal wearing my Montreal Quebec shirt and my beanie while I final tabled a tournament. But I was thinking maybe not all the time, but I should make myself dress better to go to the card room because... I do get pissed that that romance is kind of out of it. and it, Because you were talking about the main event as a magical tournament. It was really weird to me the first years they did the November 9 and nobody shaved. Mm. It was, you know, hey, you're about to play on television for $8 million. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could procure a shave? They were maybe I'm, superstitious. I'm, Come on, gamblers are superstitious. Oh, yeah. But could you ever see Doyle Brunson doing that? Oh, no, no, yeah. Not in a million years. Uh, if Phil Ivey could grow a beard, could you see him doing that? Yeah. Not a chance, you know. It, it was, and I, I was thinking, I always liked how Tony Dunst, like, uh, like, I shouldn't say like, 
but uh, Tony Dunn. Yeah, three-piece suit. <laughs> yeah, and he, I mean, the three-piece suit it might be a little much, but when I was in Europe, uh, it, it, it also occurred to me, nobody really knew Tony and I were American at this one table until we opened our mouths, because you, uh, in Europe, you just put on a slightly dressier sweatshirt, and nobody knows who you are. But, of course, the second they hear my, my drawl, uh, my American twang. Uh, you're, it's pretty clear where I'm from, but I see some Americans show up in Europe and they just don't care what you guys think is normal. It, 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 you know, the basketball jerseys and the flip flops and the yeah. Adidas shorts. Jason Mastad is a good player, though. Yeah, he's a great player. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure Jason Mercier could show up naked, and we couldn't say anything yeah, at this yeah. point because he's just that good. And so, yeah, what, are, what are you really going to say to Michael Jordan? You know, and uh, yeah. Uh, it, anywho, it, but it, like honestly, it is a respect thing. Jason Mercier is such a good player and has done so much for poker and is such a polite guy and everybody knows who he is. He can show up wearing some sweatpants and that to me that's fine. Now, do I have that stake in poker tournaments? No, I should dress a little nicer if I'm going to be in Europe or like a nicer casino or something. And I realize I miss that part of the game, dressing mm. just a little nicer, showing up. I think they, you they, feel better though, Alex, as well. Yeah, I, I yeah, remember exactly. when, when I wasn't a big fat cunt. I mean, I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember being really in shape, going to the gym, feeling good. I would go to the casino and playing. I was playing fifty pound freeze outs, thinking I was James Bond, thinking, you know, like, <laughs> you know, a nice black Prada fitted shirt, like a real, you know, really dressing like well. And I don't know if it was beginner's luck, but I felt better. You felt like you played better. It's like believing it. It's like... The only live poker tournament I've ever won, it was... We were supposed to be on a featured table, possibly. Uh, They were looking at my table as a featured table on day two of the main event, so my ex-wife justifiably said, why don't you just put on a vest and a long sleeve shirt? It's cold as hell in the Rio anyway. Uh... And I said, okay, so I put on jeans and just boat shoes and that shirt, and I felt so good mm-hmm. that when I busted the main event five minutes later, uh, I just hopped in a 235 deep stack, and of course I looked absolutely ridiculous now, because the deep stack doesn't exactly court ladies of the high court or something. I don't know. I got very lo- I got very lost there. I didn't know what to say. But it, it's not a very gentlemanly enterprise, the dailies. And But I won because I felt like I look like the pro. Mm. I play like the pro. I am the pro. And I didn't have that before. And it's like you said, why not? If that's what makes you feel better, you should do that. And you've got to play better if you're feeling better. Exactly. It's all, exactly. Even like physiology, like people say, like the way if you if you're slumped at a table and whatever, your breathing's different. You're not, you know, if you sort of exactly. sit better, posture, everything, your mind's going to be. There's no, there's a reason why like salesmen go out and really try and you know it's it's right, yeah. They're, they're and like you say, like to... Phil Ivey's table presence and stuff. You know, like people. It, it's definitely any edge you can get, you know, even if it's whatever percent is, like, huge, you know, it's all, oh, if you're going yeah. to turn up and play, you may as well turn up and put in a little bit of effort rather than just, like, whatever, you know. And, right, right, like I do 
80% of the time. Which yeah, but you banned that right, Alex. You banned that right. You, uh, you think so? <laughs> I don't, I, uh, most, I, Kevin McPhee likes to do this all the time. Hey, man, this is Assassinato. Do you know who he is? And it's like some 25-year-old online poker pro, and the guy goes, No. Like, who, who's Assassinato? And it's like, by the way, dude, you can't give me the, oh, yeah, how you doing, man? Am I really going to go, what tournament did I win in 2007, liar? You don't know who I am. Yeah. But, like, Kev, I don't think Kevin means to do that, but it's always funny. He's done about three of those recently. Hey, man, it's Assassinato. Do you know who he is? But, yeah, what as to what you were saying... I used to see guys like Faraz Jaka and Tony Dunst dress to pl- dress for success, and I thought, how immature. And then, you know, at final tables, I would dress nice because it's a little bit expected of you, but up until then, no. And I had no idea what I was doing. You could see that by my outfit at the San Remo, Italy final table. Uh, that said... Now I'm older, I realize I was the immature one. They were showing up dressed for work. I was showing up like a schlub and getting treated justifiably for my choices. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's nice, it's nice to know that's a little over. That's, uh, that, that uh, in my mind, I have gotten over that. So, yeah, yeah you got to... I, I got rid of 80% of my wardrobe on the way from Costa Rica to here, and I'm really looking forward to just... I, I want to go play live poker and be there, and that is one of my favorite quotes ever. What was it? It is something analog in a digital world. Yeah, it's an analog thing in a digital world. It's, you know. so, that's so well said. You, you might have just cracked the code of why live poker will last forever. That's uh, it. It really will. There will always be card. There have been card games since the dawn of time. From the dawn of time, people have played cards, and now well, it's, it's like a, a way to like another thing is like the gaming. Taking it back to gaming is those that uh, you can get an emulator now on your any computer or setup or whatever that's got like every Nintendo sixty four game ever made on it and every PlayStation one game whatever. Why do people still go out and pay $100 for this rare N64 cartridge and box and stuff? Because they, mm. the ta- they want the tangible thing. They want the real thing. In, in their That's mind, true. There's some people that don't have that in their head. They really don't care. But there is a huge percentage of the population that they need that, you know, especially in this world, this digital world, they need the object. They need the, to feel it, to feel it's real. You know, they need to physically put the chips in or put the money down or whatever. It's a huge thing, I think. Right, and I remember when I first, I got a modded PlayStation 2 and I had every single Super Nintendo game. I could not wait to play it because growing up, all I wanted was video games. And it was, and I realized as I got them, and I only played Tetris and F-Zero and Mega Man a little bit, uh, what I found was, oh, and Dr. Mario, don't forget Dr. Mario. Uh, that was amazing. That Dr. Mario yeah. wasn't, I got skills with the pills, son, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, that was so yeah, uh, that game. Yeah, I love that game. But, Two player, Dr. Mario. Oh my God, player. yeah, oh. like you can, just seven hours can disappear yeah. and you'll have no idea how that happened. Yeah. And yeah, an entire pizza too, just gone. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh. I had a lot of fun playing some of the old games, but the younger me would like would have studied every single game and played every single one of them and known the boss ending, even if it was so damn difficult. I never got there, and I, 
I would have walked three neighborhoods over to borrow this one cartridge and, okay, bro, I'll loan you a couple of these. It it was really weird. I was watching NCAA basketball, college basketball, and I knew it was just two halves uh, instead of normal basketball in the States, which is four quarters. I, I just knew it was two halves. And I was thinking, why did I know that? And I said, oh, that was because there was an NCAA basketball game that somebody had. And I was like, who had that? Jordan Swenson, my next door neighbor, which is who has since passed. But uh, he would bring it over and we would play. And it was just part of my life was just trying to get any game I could get my hands on, even though I've never had an interest in college basketball ever. You just had to do that because it was something tangible and analog and it was fun to show up at your buddy's house and get into arguments about who was the better player and somebody would throw a controller and that guy would get excommunicated for a week and a half and then, you know, you you meet up playing basketball a couple neighborhoods over to do it again. And it, Kids these days, like, they'll never get that, Barry. That's over. Mm. That's gone, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, putting seven to a van trying to get to a concert because, yeah. you know, we couldn't buy the CD if we didn't go to the concert because nobody carried it. And what's and important? So Spotify. Yeah. What's important is like all your memories that you're talking about. It's like these are things that happened by getting out the house and actually living and experiencing stuff. Nobody remembers the Twitter, the tweet that they've read three weeks ago and scrolled through oh, on the Facebook post. That's that a they, good point. No, but it's it's the mind, the human body, like as a machine. It, we tag like things we've actually done and physically touched with our hands and experienced. You remember, like if you pick up a car, it will take you back to like if you picked up a NES controller, it would take you back to the time when you played this and that. It's like right, scrolling, right. You know, it's, it's like that old thing about like smelling the uh, what is it like that psychologist he, he takes a bite of some cookie that his mum made and it, it takes him back thirty years to a memory because the taste is you know right it, it take, and he remembers his whole yeah he remembers his whole thing and it's like I think so much of that gets lost with us there's so much benefits to technology and if it wasn't for technology we wouldn't be doing this podcast now me and Alex have still never met in person. We're hoping to change that in uh, May slash June. Um, There's no hope. Only yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. Go so ahead. It, it's it's weird. It's like there are so many benefits, but it's so important to really still live and experience stuff. And right. Not, not right. sit on a computer and think that you are living by just doing that. You know, it's like it's weird. Exi- I I 100% agree. It. I wonder how much it helps me in poker just having to have dealt with people my entire life, whereas I don't feel a lot of people get that. And, yeah, um, the other thing that I find is really interesting that I've been thinking about lately is I used to obsessively write everything down because my memory is actually pretty spotty. And which, uh, because I was thinking of that, because when I do hold an NES controller, a NES controller, as you would say, yeah. uh, <laughs> it does take me back to a different time in my life. And I, I remember, like, my my dad and I just aren't as close as I'd like. And But there was a time him and I played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, like, every day. And it was awesome. And uh, it takes me back there, but I realize it's so sad how many memories you just lose. Yeah. And so I used to obsessively write down everything, and that was the blog, uh, the multiple blogs. I'm not like that anymore because I realized 
I've read thousands of books. I couldn't tell you. I'll, I, I couldn't tell you that much about any one of them, right? Because it's it just three days it's devoured, and that was eight years ago. Yeah. Right. And uh, but I read this quote, and it said. The books I've read are like the meals I've eaten. Though I can't recall them, they have made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And that blew my mind. And I really think memories are like that. Perhaps you won't remember every detail of going to hit baseballs with you and your friends at a local park in 20 years. But it will, breathing the clean air, getting out there, experiencing something analog, being with your friends hitting the ball, trying to work hand-eye coordination, running. This will all create a different type of neurogenesis in your mind. And that, that is very exciting to me. And I do yeah. believe there's something like that to poker. You become a different man when you have to hold yourself accountable in front of eight other men and mm -hmm. the TV and the media and, yeah, the smoky backroom cashier with the check waitresses. <laughs> I think that's a good note to end this one yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, uh, okay, Alex, how can people get in touch with you digitally uh, to, uh, <laughs> to uh, have a look at your digital products, etc.? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, if you guys want to help me subsist off of this network I just downplayed. Or your uh, analog book. You do have an analog book. I do have an analog you book. You can pick up. It. Yeah, yeah. You can pick up the Myth of Poker Talent at a. I want to say wherever books are sold. You can pick it up in the Las Vegas airport. Catch me there, and uh, yeah, uh, you can find it on Amazon, uh, along with some reviews that don't make much sense to me. Uh, you can also. Uh, you can write me at alex at pokerheadrush dot com if you'd like to contact me about private coaching. Uh, this is this. This has been a more of a casual podcast. I promise if you do contact me for private coaching, I'm pretty hardcore when it comes to the strategy stuff. You can go to YouTube. I'd really recommend you check out Ready to Test Your Poker if you want to see uh, my teaching style. It's a free webinar. Uh, there's also Live Poker 101 as a preview on YouTube. You can just put Live Poker 101 and it'll come up in YouTube. Sign up to my YouTube channel. Sign up to my newsletter on PokerEdrush.com and get free content pretty much every week. We're hauling, we're hauling butt to do that here pretty soon. I'm trying, I'm trying to clean up how I talk. I'm trying. My mom's here. Barry, it's time to ship up, even though she did yell an F you during one of my webinars, which you can catch, which was pretty funny. <laughs> She, uh, she yelled it at Rehards was the funniest thing. <laughs> and she knows Rehards personally. We all went out to dinner together and Re we're all, but she, uh, my mom's an OG. She gets to do that. You know, she's been, she, she's been chilling, you know, she, yeah, she's paid her dues. Yeah. She's my mom. So, yep. So, and Rehards kind of deserved it anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, you can sign up for my newsletter at uh, PokerEdrush.com. You can check out PokerEdrush.com for fun. We put up a lot. I, I put up a lot of fun blogs and stuff. It's, it's essentially my blog. My official training site is coming up here pretty soon. We bought the domain names. Keep, keep, I'm hiring the staff. Look out for it. Nice. It's not nice. going to be a competitor to, like, card runners or stuff. It's just going to put all my stuff together in one place, which should be a good time. Good. 
And keep your questions coming in for Alex for the next show. Questions at oneouter.com. You can email them or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Thanks for listening. Until next week, cheers. Cheers! Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.